Well, again, good morning, church family. And good morning to those online. We don't want to forget them. There's a number of people. In fact, I was already getting texts uh, this morning from those who are watching uh, online in our church family that aren't able to be here. So don't want to forget about all of you. We love you. Um, it is 4th of July weekend, and so I uh, want to just uh, say that we as a people should be tremendously grateful for the freedoms that we have. I know, I know that a lot of those freedoms at times are seeming to be hindered and limited, yet nonetheless, the very fact that we can be here today, uh, not afraid of persecution like many of our brothers and sisters uh, in the Lord around the world is a tremendous blessing. And so for those men and women who have uh, fought and served to uh, keep those freedoms for us, we are tremendously, tremendously grateful. And, uh, and we remember that, I pray, this, this weekend and that you took some time to remember that uh, yesterday. One of the things that's interesting about today, this Sunday in particular, is it is a Sunday that marks the, the halfway point in the year 2020 as far as Sundays are concerned. All right, just sit back and think about that for a moment. We are halfway through 2020. Most of you are like, let's get on with it. Let's finish this thing out, right? Let's, let's just, just complete this. Um, as a family, there was a game that my parents had bought us that I think best kind of illustrates 2020. Uh, you're like, what is this? I, I showed this years ago. Uh, this is a contraption that goes to a game called Boom Boom Balloon, okay? And, and I'm not going to do it because the balloon would eventually pop with the heat and everything. But what you do with this contraption is you fill a balloon up with air and you stick it in this hole. And, and then you roll dice when it's your turn. And what you do is you push down on these things and they click. Here, let me put it right here. You can hear it. And, and, and when you roll the dice, however many rolls you do is how many clicks push in upon the balloon. And so there's this building and mounting pressure on the balloon with each and every click. It is a nerve-wracking game. My wife hates it. We almost got rid of it. I said, no, we got to keep this, right? 2020 feels like boom, boom, balloon. Every day, it seems like, okay, what's the roll? Oh, two more things, right? This is happening. Oh, it, and, the, and, and our lives feel like this pressure in this balloon, and, and more and more stuff just keeps happening, and it feels like it's going to what? It's going to pop. It's, it's going to it's going to burst. And now the crazy thing about Boom Boom Balloon is you can't pull these things back out. Once you click it in, it's, it's, it's stuck. And I was thinking about this game, and I was thinking about our lives as I was considering what might be the, the sermon series that we would do this year. And so uh, after some prayer and consideration and talking with the pastors and elders, uh, for the rest of the summer, for the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of First Peter. And so I want you to open up in your Bibles to, to First Peter. I think this is an immensely timely book in, in looking at the realities of our world and feeling like 2020 is like boom, boom, balloon. Every, every day there's, there's more trials, there's, there's more pressures. And the book of First Peter was a letter that was written to believers who were experiencing much of that. When you read the first chapter, you discover it was written by the Apostle Peter. Jesus' right-hand man, the guy that's always listed as first whenever, whenever the apostles are mentioned. A, a guy who in one moment was professing Jesus Christ as Lord, saying I would die with him. The next minute, he, he's dropping curse words, denying that Jesus was his, was his Savior. 
And so Peter's the one who wrote this letter after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's writing it to Christ followers who are spread out throughout a very particular region of the Roman Empire. And he's writing it in a time and place where the Roman Empire is is almost at its pinnacle, almost at its zenith, almost at its height of, of power. And if you were living in the Roman Empire at the time that this letter was written, the emperor of the Roman Empire, he was viewed as a godlike figure. Um, in fact, part of your experience as a citizen of the Roman Empire was to engage in emperor worship. And so wherever you went to the Roman Empire, there were these Greek and Roman temples that were set up to the gods of the day. And some of those temples were to the emperor himself. And so what we have here is a letter written to a group of people who understand who Jesus was, who understand what it looks like to follow him, and yet they're living in a world that's diametrically opposed to the value systems that they have come to understood that Jesus Christ taught. They're living in a world in, in which if you didn't engage in the type of social practices in the type of religious ceremonies that were happening in the cities where these people lived, you would be an outcast. In fact, it would be hard for you to find a job. In fact, your very social life would almost be non-existent because everything in the Roman Empire was built around the worship of these pagan gods. But for the Christ follower, you could only acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. And so exponentially, if you were a Christ follower in, in this day, your life was much, much harder. It was difficult. It was a struggle. They were facing pressures from all around them. The world that they lived in did not know Jesus Christ, did not understand what it meant to follow him as Lord, and it was actively trying to undercut their faith. Does any of that kind of sound familiar? Does any of that feel like the world that we're, that we're living in, trying to make sense of all of these things? And, and so if that well, if you were in Peter's shoes in those days, if you knew that, that this is what the people that you loved and cared about were, were going through, if you, if you knew that these were people who at minimum were frustrated and were, were most beginning to lose hope, what would you write to them? What would you say to them? My friends, that's why the letter of 1 Peter exists. It says he says at the very end of the letter, he says, I'm writing these things so that you would stand firm. Because I know, I know with everything that's going on around you, the, the, the foundation seems to be crumbling, that, that, you, that you are wanting to capitulate, that you're wanting to give in, that the pressures are too much. But he's writing this letter because he wants them to stand for him. So, so how does he encourage them in doing that? That, my friends, is what we're going to see. And so I want to begin this morning by looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, kicking it off by reading in its entirety the first kind of nine verses. And then we're going to go back, back through it. So let me read this. For us. Are you ready? Here we go. First one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Oh, who doesn't want those things? He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you rejoice. 
Though, now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God. Amen. That's the word of God. There is so much here. Now, normally uh, in a message, I will typically try to give like one or two kind of main points, and there's going to be some of that today, but I'm also going to shotgun this thing. There are just so many deep and abiding truths here that I don't know what the Spirit of God has for you, but I know that He has something for you. And so as we go through this, there are going to be many of those things. So I'm going to say don't try and take it all in at one time. In fact, um, if you uh, have a Bible, um, I would encourage you to bring it all the time, but be bringing it this summer so that you can mark things down, so that you can circle it, so that you can go back to it. But what I want to do is I want to do something just a little different right now because there's so much here. I just want to stop for a moment. I want you to stop. I want to pray. I want us to pray just a simple prayer. Lord, by your spirit, would you teach me today what you have for me? All right? So we're going to do that. Would you just bow your heads? Let's just take a moment here. Heavenly Father, this is your word. There's so much here. There's more than what one man can communicate, and it's ultimately not my responsibility, Lord, to make these things stick. That's what your spirit does. So, Lord, whatever you have for my dear brothers and sisters, what you continue to have for me, Lord, reveal that now in these moments, Lord, for the good of your people and to the praise of your glorious name. Amen and amen. So, as we get into it, I just want to start in the very beginning. What does, what does Peter have to say to people who are wavering? What does Peter have to say to people who are struggling potentially with, with hope? Well, he, he does two main things in these first verses. In fact, all the way through verse 12. He's going to say kind of two main things. The first thing that he's going to say is this. Always remember who you are. In a, in a world with trials, in a world with pressures, Always remember who you are, specifically in Jesus Christ. And the second thing that he's going to do is always remember what God has done for you. If you cling to those two things, if you're clear on that, that's going to get you through so much. It will ultimately preserve you. And here's where we see it. Look how he starts this letter. He does not address those that he's writing to. He does not call them brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't call them fellow Christians, does he? He doesn't call them servants of God. He identifies his readers, depending upon your translation, as elect exiles. It's a bizarre way to address somebody at the beginning of a letter. Most often, Peter or Paul or John, they would address somebody as a brother or sister in Christ. But this designation by Peter is so purposeful and it's so intentional. Consider that first designation by calling them elect. That phrase is packed with so much meaning because throughout the Old Testament, there was one group of people who were identified as the elect. Anybody want to take a guess at who those group of people were? Anybody? The the Jews, the Israelites. They were God's chosen people, also referred to in the Old Testament as the elect of God, those chosen by God. To be elect, according to Peter here, he's drawing these hearers and by extension, you and me, into a very beautiful and profound truth. We are now 
the chosen of God. He's bringing us into the redemptive story, saying, you know in the Old Testament how God had particularly chosen the Israelite people through Abraham to be his chosen possession. Well, now you get in on that. You're the elect. You're those whom God has now set his affection upon. You now have been picked by God, the maker of heaven and earth. When he's picking teams, he picked you. If you grew up and you were on the playground and they were picking teams, it always felt lousy when you weren't, weren't picked. He's coming and he's saying, oh, you don't get it. God has, has chosen you. And he's not chosen you to be his people because of something special and great and wonderful about you. He's chosen you, as we're going to see in just a little bit. I want to get there, but I can't yet. Out of his great mercy. And so Peter, by calling them the elect, is saying, I want you to identify yourself and to see your identity as the chosen people of God. In fact, he, he hits upon this in verse 2. Look at what he says. He makes it abundantly clear what it means to be elect. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, Literally, God knew and planned you to be his from the beginning. That was part of his plan. When he calls you the elect, he's calling you those who have been chosen by God, planned out to be part of his family. And then he goes on to say that that we were then made holy by God. Look at what he says in the second part of verse 2. In the sanctification of the Spirit, God went after you. He got you. He sanctified you in the Spirit. And all of this was done by God for a purpose, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. That's that you would receive ongoing forgiveness from him, that you would receive the ability to ultimately obey. I love how the New Living Translation, um, the New Living Bible translates this. It says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. And as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. That's who you are. God's chosen, made holy for obedience. And by the way, for those of you who like theology and wonder, where is the doctrine of the Trinity taught in the New Testament? Where's that idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all being part of the Godhead? You just read it. It's right here. Did you see it? Each one of them, the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all a part of bringing us into the family of God. I love that. To be a Christ follower here today is to be a Christian who belongs to God. You are his, and you are his because he chose you. And why do we need to be reminded of this? Why do we need to take this in? Why did they need to remind themselves we are chosen by God? Well, I'll tell you one very good reason. One reason that's shown all throughout the history of the Israelite people. God cares for his chosen ones. Can I get an amen to that? God cares for those that he's chosen. God cares for his people. He never leaves them. He never forsakes them. He walks with them. He goes with them. And so as we go through life and we feel the pressures and the struggles, who are we? We are God's. And what do we know about God? God cares for those who are his. If you are chosen by God, he cares for you. But then there's another attribution that he gives them. He calls them elect, what? 
exiles. What, what, what's going on there? What, what's he reminding them of by giving them this designation? A better translation, a way better translation of this word is sojourners. I think they don't use the word sojourners because we don't use the word sojourners anymore. He's not talking about these people actually being exiles, meaning those who were kicked out of house and home and taken somewhere else. He's actually using a word that's better translated sojourners or strangers, non-citizens of the place in which you're currently living. You're tracking with me. So he says, you are chosen by God. Those people who are now living in a place that's not your home. You are citizens of somewhere else, but you're, but you're here currently. Christian here today. Christ follower here today. Do you know this world is ultimately not your home? I'm not talking about the physical planet itself. I'm talking about the value systems, the, the, the rulers and the powers of this, of this place. Like this is not where our allegiance lies. And so he's, he's writing to these people who are part of the Roman Empire, an empire that says if you're going to be a part of it, you have to worship Caesar. Peter's saying, take, take that off your mind. You don't belong to Caesar. You belong to God. You're not a citizen of the Roman Empire. You're a citizen of, of heaven. In fact, flip over in 1 Peter to, to chapter 2. Pastor Paul is going to preach on this passage in a few weeks, but I'm going to get there before him. I win. Here we go, verse 9. I love this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priest to the people for his own possession. That's who you are. He's building upon what he says here in the first verses. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, beloved, I urge you as, now there it is, sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which weighs war against your souls. You're not citizens here. Don't give yourself over to these things. This world has no hold on you. Peter is saying, you want to get through what you're getting through. Don't lose sight of always remember who you are, chosen by God. As God's chosen people, we belong to him. As God's chosen people, we can know that he cares for us. As God's chosen people, our allegiance is, is to him. And so, so when the culture around you is, is saying, this is who you should be, this is what you must do, we can take a step back when we're feeling those pressures and say, no, I'm free from all of that because my king, my Lord, the one who I swear allegiance to is first and foremost the creator God of the universe in and through his son, Jesus Christ. I love that it is 4th of July weekend. I, I love our country, but I have to say this, based on this passage, my allegiance will always and forever only be to Christ the King. And so I will never fully give myself to something here if that which the world is engaged in is not consistent and goes along with the value systems and the beliefs that align with Christ my, my King. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of it. Remember who you are. And then he says this. And this is so, so powerful. He comes in the following verses and he says, as you remember who you are, always remember what God has also done for you. Buckle up, friends. Just listen to these verses. Just listen to what? If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, listen to what? 
is said of God and what he's done for us. Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can come around and we can be like, oh, bless the Lord. Oh, bless the Lord, isn't he? Oh, praise the Lord. That's not what he's doing here. He's saying, praise the Lord at every time and in every place, no matter what's going on, God is worthy of praise. It doesn't matter if COVID is happening. It doesn't matter if riots is happening. It doesn't matter if this person gets elected or that person gets elected. It doesn't matter if you're on your deathbed. Whatever is in your life, there is one truth that reigns supreme. God is worthy of praise, and here is why. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he's given us an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power, not your own, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Hallelujah. All of this is what Christ has done. Why is God forever and always worthy of praise in our lives? Even when we are going through things, why can we still turn our eyes to him and say, praise be to your name? Number one, he says, because God has caused you to be born again. We don't understand a lick of really what that means. Jesus was the first one to say it, didn't he? Jesus was the first one with Nicodemus to say, you must be born again. To be born again is to literally have a whole new life. To be born again is to have died to one life and to have a completely new life. And if you are in Jesus Christ, as he says here, you have been born again. Whoever you were, whatever you were bound to, dead in your trespasses and sins, in bondage to the power of sin, that no longer applies to you. Friend, you have been born again. And that's why he calls this a living hope. A living hope. It's not a dead hope. See, see, see there's those, we often will say to somebody, right? They're like, oh man, you know, their hopes died. Oh, they, they didn't make that basket. There's, there's no hope of them winning. You know, the, the election tally is, is in. They don't have enough votes. There's no hope. For the Christian, you can sever, never say, I don't have hope because I have this new life that has been given to me in and through Jesus Christ. It's a transformative life. I don't think that we really understand that when we are born as little children and you hold a baby in your arms and you look at that cute little baby, are you ready for this? Are you, are you ready for what I'm about to say? I don't think you are, but I'm going to say it anyway. As you hold a baby and you see the life in their eyes and the beauty of their face and the first time they smile, you are holding that which is absolutely dead in its spirit. It is something that must be born again. See, we all think we're alive. The Bible says you're dead until Jesus makes you alive. But when you're alive, you have a brand new life. And then, you know what you get along with that new life? An inheritance. An inheritance. And what kind of inheritance do we have? You see, he's saying, right now, right now, you have been born again 
And then on top of that, one day, the fullness of that new life, it's, there's going to be a payoff. There's going to be an inheritance. He uses three words to define it. Because he, he can't fully describe it, so he uses three words to say what it's not. He says it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. Peter's coming and he's saying, listen to this. You have an inheritance that cannot be destroyed. If your money's in the stock market today, you, you can think that, you know, there's going to be ups and downs, but there's no guarantee that it's going to be there when it's all said and done. You can say, well, I put all my money in real estate. That's a, that's a safe and secure place. Oh, is it really? Talk to the people in Pompeii, okay? Like that's, that, that didn't turn out too well, okay? You can say it's in gold and silver. Oh, please, okay, please. He's coming and saying, let me tell you about this inheritance. It cannot be destroyed. It's undefiled, meaning it's not polluted. And thirdly, it's unfading, meaning it's never subject to decay. What do I have? What has God chosen to give me? New life, an inheritance unlike any other. And then he comes and he says, by the way, it can never be taken from you. Because it's being guarded, it's being kept in heaven by the power of God. You have an eternal salvation. And so when the world is literally burning all around you, when you are facing trials of various kinds, as he's going to say in just a second, remember who you are and remember what your God has done. In fact, so incredible is all of this. Jump down to verse 10. Look at what Peter says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted that the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things in which angels long to look. Just how amazing is all of this? Peter says the prophets of old, they knew this thing was coming and they wanted so desperately to see it. What did they long to see? That God would intercede on behalf of a fallen creation and by his great mercy, save, choose, redeem them, give them this new life, give them an, an, an amazing inheritance and then guard that inheritance. He says the prophets longed to see that and angels in heaven are sitting back and they're just like, I wish I could understand this. The angels, they, they, they don't even fully get it. It's so amazing to the angels. Is it amazing to you? If heavenly beings who stand in front of God and worship him are sitting back and saying, this is almost imaginable for us, how much more should we look at these things and stand amazed? Peter says, listen, this is what you need to remember. This is what you need to cling to. Always remember who you are. Always remember what God has done for you. And now he comes in verse 6 and he says, here's why, church. Here's why. In this you rejoice. See, in this, who you are and, and what God has done for you, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found. That faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, though you do not 
see him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that it's inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Because you go back to who you are because of what he has done. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is telling those believers and he's telling us, I want you to hold on. I want you to hold on so desperately to who you are in God and what he has done for you. Because Peter does something here. He says, listen, you're going to face various trials. And when he says you're going to face various trials, he's talking about all different kinds of trials. I love the genuineness and the sincerity of God's word. It doesn't deny that we won't have hardships in this life. Instead, it pulls it fully on the carpet. And you know what else it says? Not only will we have these trials, but notice what he says about what these trials can do to your heart and mind. They can cause us to grieve. They can cause us to grieve. You know what's something that we need to have in the church of God? Something that we have to leave room for is grief. Did you know that the Bible never tells you, do not be sad? The Bible never tells you, don't grieve. I think sometimes we do each other a disservice by not just simply acknowledging hardships and trials and sorrows and saying, it's okay to grieve. You're going to experience things in your life that will cause you to grieve. It's okay to not be okay. What Peter's saying is we don't stay there, but we must have a category for grief in our life. The Psalms are full, full, chock full of men of God calling out in grief before the Lord. So just as a complete side right now, like, listen, if you're going through a trial, do not just simply try to put on a brave face. If something is causing you pain, Jesus doesn't come to you and say, buck up, soldier, turn that frown upside down. And if you say that to somebody, I give you permission to be slapped, okay? No, I'm not. (laughs) You will be grieved by various trials. Trials will come your way, and it's okay to grieve. But look at what he says. What will sustain you in those trials? We are sustained through trials, Peter says, by our knowledge of him. By our knowledge of him, who he is and what he's done. He said, in this you rejoice. As you're going through all of this, as you're going through all of this, go back to who he is, go back to who you are, and rejoice in that, cling to that, because as as you're doing a boom, boom, balloon 2020, as more things are pressing in upon you, something remains true. You are chosen of God, no matter how tight this gets, no matter how many trials come, come your way, you are chosen by God, and he cares for those who are his. And not only that, you have an inheritance that's never gonna perish, spoil, or fade. He says, in this you rejoice as you go through those trials. I want to pull back the curtain on the Wajniki family for just a little bit. Some things that some of you might know and then some things that you don't know. This has really ministered to my heart and mind. It's something that I've been drawn to because um, back in March, some kind of good news came our way. Somebody came to us and they said, uh, Dave and Hannah, there's a situation where there's a number of babies that need to be adopted. Would you guys ever consider adopting again? I can't go into the details of the situation. In a future time, I might be able to do it. But we prayed about that and we said, you know, um, our girls are 
are older, but we believe that we have capacity. And so, yeah, we'd be willing to adopt a few of those babies. And so what began, literally right as the pandemic started on March 15th, um, around that Thursday before March 15th, I, I went down and we began our home study. And so we began the process of doing what was necessary to adopt some of these babies. And let me just cut, cut forward. We're still in that process right now. Um, with the quarantine, it's put a lot of that stuff on hold. So these babies have been born. They're waiting for families. And, and so we're looking to bring these babies into our home if God continues to move in that direction. And so that was something that we were praying about and, and excited about. And then, and then something happened. We came to, to mid-May as we were going through this process, and we discovered that after 12 years of not being able to conceive, Hannah was pregnant. And, and we had thought to ourselves, we're like, this is insane. Um, first off, we were looking to bring babies into our home, so the idea of having a baby wasn't too shocking to us. But, Lord, after 12 years, we weren't able to get pregnant, and now all of a sudden we're pregnant, and we're looking to bring babies in. How's that going to impact that? How's that going to impact our home study and that whole process? And, and so there was all these mixed emotions, but we were excited. And then for the, for the next two weeks, Hannah was like full-blown into the morning sickness and being tired and having all of those things. She says, it feels like it felt when, when I was pregnant with, with Elle. And we started praying about that and rejoicing in that. And you begin thinking to yourself, wow, I, I just can't even imagine this, this happening. And then right about Memorial Day, we began to notice that maybe the pregnancy wasn't going to be continuing on. And we began thinking to ourselves, Lord, if, if this doesn't continue, this seems like really unkind because we, didn't, we weren't looking to have kids of our own. We were like totally contented. And we were totally contented with, with bringing a, a baby into uh, or babies into our, our family. And then all of a sudden, you're like, here, I'm going to give you $100,000. And now it seems like you're coming back and you're saying, oh, never mind. Uh, you're not going to have that thing. And sadly, um, what Hannah was experiencing um, continued on, and, and we miscarried. And, and that wasn't something that was a slow process, that it extended much longer and weeks longer than what we would have ever wanted or, or desired for her to go through that. And so all through this time, and meanwhile, in the background, we got a pandemic going on. Uh, mean, meanwhile, we're trying to decide what we're doing with the church. Do we open? Do we wear masks? Do we not do these things? Do we do this thing? Do we do, we do all that? And you're trying to manage all that. Don't be surprised when you face trials of various kinds. And, and so as you go through this and you're like, Lord, we're trying to do a good thing here. We, we believe that you're called us to, to do this. And then it seems like you're going to bless us. And then you take that back. And, and how are we to process through all of this? I'm telling you, that's hard. And you grieve, and you struggle, and you feel the pressures. And then in the midst of all of that, the one thing that God kept speaking to me is what I ended up finding Peter speaking to us here. Remember who you are to me. Dave and Hannah, remember your mind. And you might not understand all the trials that you're going through and, and why this is happening or not happening. Remember that you're mine. And remember who I am, the kind of God I am. Because while what you're going through might not seem very kind right now, while it might seem as though I myself am being unkind to you, remember the truth that my son Jesus Christ died for you, made you born again, gave you new life, and has for you an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. 
that's what you have to look forward to. And so then when Peter writes here in these verses, and he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, or let me add to that, feel like he's near you now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory because you know that you'll be obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Church, I don't know what it is that you're going through. I don't have any idea what the rest of 2020 has in store. Even for us today, we're waiting even still with all these things. Are we going to be bringing two new babies into our lives in the next month or two months? Like we, we don't even know, know of that. You might be facing sickness today. You might be facing loss of income today. You might be going through trials that I can't even imagine today. And I would say to you, what God would say to you through the Apostle Peter, in the midst of those trials and suffering, remember who you are because of what God has done. And in remembering what he has done for you, see him as a God who is faithful who cares? And when it's all said and done, you and I, no matter what the trials at the end of the day, will obtain an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Sometimes all we can do is cling to that. That's sometimes all we can do. But in doing so, we find our hope. Let's pray together. Lord, so much here, so much to consider, so much to even weigh in our own hearts and minds. I look at all these faces, men and women, children that I love, that I care about. Lord, and men and women, children that I know that care about me and my family. Lord, that, that brings me comfort. That brings me peace and rest. But even more than that, as I know your care, your love for us. And that's been expressed in you choosing us because of your great mercy, loving us, giving us that which we could never obtain through our own works. And so, Lord, no matter what it is that we're going to, may we find our hope in that today and sing praise and glory to your name because of who you are and what you've done. We ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.